Welcome to Man Up, a podcast by men, about men, and for men who want to be better fathers, husbands, leaders, and followers of Jesus. Are you ready? Man Up. Yes, sir! Welcome, welcome, my friends. I'm your host, Jared Bowman, and this is Man Up, your podcast with all the encouragement that you need to be a better father, husband, leader, and follower of Jesus. Hey, and today I'm joined by my good buddy, Brian Haynes. Yes, you know, Brian's here. I, I forgot to tell him about this, but he's going to be our inaugural video episode. This is going to get loaded up on the Real Dad channel along with the Man Up podcast. I'm thinking about changing the name of that channel, Brian. What do you think about changing it to the Man Up channel? You think I should keep it Real Dad and just focus on more dad stuff, or should I switch it over to Man Up? Give, give me the Give me the man on the street opinion. All right. So I like man up because, you know, it applies to all men as characteristics we've got. Of course, dads are men. So I do like that. But kind of a prerequisite for being a dad there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, some people might disagree today, but uh, you're absolutely right. All right. So Brian is firmly in the undecided camp. It's that's that's typically my opinion. (laughs) Lick the finger. See which way the wind's blowing. (laughs) Exactly right. How you doing today, buddy? I am just fantastic. Hey, so I wanted to chat with you about some things, and I don't know how long this episode is going to go, but there's just been kind of a deluge of news lately about, and it's all been in the celebrity arena, about people being exposed for their character. Logan Paul and the whole crypto zoo thing, where he basically has come out with this apology now that really wasn't much of an apology. It seems like he probably knew that it was a scam. I mean, people lost a lot of money over that. You've got Andrew Tate and what went on with he and his brother, their, you know, extended jail sentence over in, uh, over in, that was it Prague that they're in and the, the, just finding out that all of the, you know, be a man's man kind of thing was all, seems like it might've just been a cover for some human trafficking that they were doing and that they were really not good people or even reaching as far back as what was it? The Sam Bankman freed and the the whole FTX scandal at the end of last year, it seems like maybe we ought to stop and talk about character a little bit. So I wanted to visit with you because, I mean, this is something you and I talk about a lot. And when I say character and we think about those kinds of scandals, I mean, that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? And we have a lot of reasons to think that that might be the case. People are becoming more self-focused and self-centered. That's going to that's gonna dissolve character for sure. People are less willing to put themselves through difficult circumstances. They want things easier. We have a we have a technology now that allows things to be easier. You know, we have medicine that allows you not to have to suffer. We we have tools that make things so that we don't have to bear burdens or go through difficulties. And these are things that build character. So we have less and less opportunities in some ways to build character. But on the other side of that, maybe I'll take my famous, let me have no good opinion on this and say... <laughs> Some of this could just be the idea that we're just more aware. Yeah. There's there's always been a deficit of character, especially in people that arrive in prominent positions in the world, whether it's politics, society, whatever it is. There's always been a tremendous deficit of character. And you almost think it's it's a connection to the old say that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. That there just seems to be a sense that the more important people become, at least in their own eyes, the more their character is drained away. And as I said, it's all throughout history. You can walk back to the kings of Israel and say, hey, look at these guys, you know, that 
you know, David or Solomon becomes the most powerful man and his character vanishes. Or you look exactly. at the Roman emperors or, you know, the, the kings of England, whoever right. it is, you know, the, the better off things are, you know, and throughout history, it might just be the case we're more aware of it now. Well, I mean, it, and it could be, as you said, that we're becoming more knowledgeable. I mean, the more media that we have access to, the more real-time data that we have, and some of that is is obviously skewed. And just uh, that all of the the man-up kind of bravado isn't going to serve you if you don't have a the ideal of having character. I think about, you know, Solomon said in Proverbs 11.3 that the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. And that's that's a real that's a thought that maybe we ought to stop and think about a little bit. You know, as as we're enlarging the borders of our personal kingdom, we well, we we're out there trying to make our family better provide for our family. We're trying to get out there and and make a success of ourselves. We tell our kids, hey, do the best at everything you've got to do. You know, compete to win. If you don't teach those lessons of character along the way, it doesn't matter how successful I am or how is as a podcaster or YouTube host or an evangelist or how charismatic I am in those roles or how many people like me and follow me and, and listen to my words that if I haven't built that with integrity, then I'm really not building anything of value according to what Solomon said there. And you think about what he would say a little bit later in, in say, Proverbs 22 and 1, that a good name is more desirable than great riches or to be esteemed is better than silver or gold. And that's obviously to be esteemed for having good characters, not just kind of the YouTube fame or the the influencer fame. There's a lot of people that have esteem today that I don't think that that's who Solomon had in mind. But what's interesting about those words is you mentioned that Solomon's, his the power that he had was corrupting to him. It may be the guy who was the most corrupted by power that actually wrote those things. So how do we balance that scale? You know, for one thing, that's actually a very interesting observation about the characteristic of Solomon actually being the author of statements like this. And here's a man who was corrupt, who was corrupted. And we have a very specific conversation about his corruption. Mm -hmm. One thing about, about the dis dissolution of character, and, and really we're, we're talking about two different stories here. We're talking about, first of all, the story of people that never had character. They never built it. They never established right. it. And so we're not, you know, we shouldn't be shocked, but we still are because we look for the best of people, I think. I yeah. think there's always and we a particularly want to we particularly want to see nobility in our leaders and our in yes. our in our celebrities and in, in yes. all of those things. If yes. you start looking at those things and you and you just realize, man, it, it's from the halls of power to the halls of entertainment that yep. to the the boards of Broadway kind of thing. It's just I mean, it, we're just eating up with this. And those are the people that we're told to idealize, and yet yep. they're not very mm -hmm. ideal. Well, we want, it's not even that we're told to idealize them. We want, we want people to idolize. We, we want people to look at and say, you know, I've got a goal idolize, in my life. I want, uh, yes, it, that's exactly what's going on here. No, uh, you know, idealize, I, I like better than idolize because idolize sounds like it's an idol. But to, to, to look at somebody with an ideal and say, that's the person I want to be like, that's important because we need that. We, we, we need things to be able to visibly see and aspire after. Our dilemma is too often we're not saying to ourselves, what is the fundamental character or what is the fundamental matter of integrity that this person has that I'm, that I'm choosing to pursue? You right. know, you and I were just talking about this about three or four weeks ago where I was saying, you know, sometimes you hear about an actor that you kind of think, oh, that was a really respectful thing he does. And I was telling you that it just always kills me that then 
you know, I'll follow up later. And sure enough, they've, they've done something terrible. And yeah, if it's not so much a shock as it's just a disappointment, you know, one after another, you, you find that there's just a disappointment involved. Well, and it seems like if we're going to really step up and, and be, I mean, our show is all about, you know, being better fathers, husbands, leaders, more godly men, really growing in those aspects that we're going to have to step up early, that, that if we're going to build anything that honors God, it seems like if I'm reading Solomon correctly here, and there's lots of other passages in Proverbs that you could probably point us to where, where character is talked about, even you know, other places in the Bible, but we're going to have to build ourselves first as God-honoring before we're going to build a God-honoring career or a God-honoring family or, or, any, or even serve as, a, as in a position that's going to lead others to God. The first, the first thing that we've got to chasten and correct and build up is, is ourselves. So how do we go about doing that? Well, you know, it's interesting when we talk about how do we go about building up character and character is a tough one because it's not as though there's, you know, a formula that I can do it in three days and have character. Character is mundane. Instant character. Instant character. I I just just add water. (laughs) Just add water. I would buy it. Character is mundane, meaning character is day-to-day things that really don't have a great deal of, you know, a great deal of significance in and of themselves by that incident. But adding them up day by day, I think you were talking about a Jordan Peterson comment where he had said, what you do every day matters more than what you do once in a while. And that's, that's a great foundational statement about character. It's the idea that character is something that speaks to what do I do and think about every day? What is every day built out of? Characters like reputation. You don't get a reputation overnight. You have to slowly build this over time. And of course, if you damage it, if you want to repair it, it's going to take time. You know, you don't have the ability to, to instantly repair a damage to character. There are certain characteristics like that. Trust would be another one. Characteristics of things that we understand you can't just accomplish overnight, that you've got to do a very consistent pattern of things that might not seem that exciting. You've got to chart your course. I mean, that's not to say that people of good character aren't ever going to deviate from the course. I think David's the perfect example of that, that I mean, David, the man after God's own heart, had some very public failings, whether it was his sin with Bathsheba or numbering the people, or even Jesus alludes to the fact that eating the showbread, he deceived some people along the way. I mean, if you just read the lowlights of David, you would kind of think he wasn't a much, I mean, you would think he wasn't a much better character than Samson was. But at the end of the day, that didn't really define David, but because David had a different course. And you mentioned Jordan Peterson a second ago, and I was thinking about how when he was talking about character, he said that to be yourself in a world that is constantly trying to make you into something else is your greatest accomplishment. And if you don't really know the direction that you want your life to take, I mean, that, that's sort of the first step in building character is deciding, okay, what am I taking seriously in life? What am I going to elevate? What am I going to make my life about? And if those questions are not answered you know, for the Christian by, by, God in some kind of way, then whatever course we're going to chart is not going to be one that's going to take it in the direction that we're saying that we want to move, that we're not going to have a family that honors God. We're not going to have a marriage that honors God. We're not going to have, we're not going to have any of those things because we've made up our mind that what I really want to do is, is this other thing over here. And I'm allowing the world to pull me in that direction. But why is it so important? Why does it matter? Why do we as men need to start by answering this question of who we are and, and how we're going to navigate the world? 
Well, one important point here, and I think it's kind of telling when you think of a statement like what Jordan Peterson said about, you know, being true to yourself. Jordan Peterson approaches this from a non-spiritual perspective. And what's important to say about that is that he may have a good sense of what what character's about. And, you know, like I said, the idea of, you know, a dated conduct that's genuine, that's, you know, you know, the Bible would say from the heart, you know, I think he would probably agree with that. But it's not about being true to yourself. It's being true to about a characteristic that's greater than yourself. That's that's what the spiritual man pursues, a characteristic that's greater than himself. One thing that I think is really important is that we have to set this, and this is a little different than what you asked, but let me throw this out there, that we have to set up a an intent for what we're going to pursue as character from the beginning that excludes things that speak to our hubris or our pride. In other words, mm-hmm. it excludes worldly success. Yeah. If you're pursuing worldly success, you are not going to have character. Let me just say that as a very bold, but I think it can be demonstrated statement. If you're pursuing worldly success, worldly faith, worldly, you know, ideals, you want money, you want power, you cannot have character. The pursuit of those things, I'm saying carefully the pursuit of them, because there are people that end up with power or money or wealth that have character. But they didn't pursue it. If you're pursuing those things, you cannot have character. And that's that's probably something that uh, you go back in time, you can talk to 18-year-old Brian. You'd say, 18-year-old Brian, whatever you're thinking about life, you need to think about establishing yourself as a person of character because that's the only value you're going to have as a man. If you're rich, if you're a millionaire at the end of your life, that's actually not that valuable. You know, more yeah. people will dislike you than like you. More people will resent you than pursue you. Brian, you would have, you know, 18-year-old Brian, he wasn't much of a sports star, but let's pretend he was. 18-year-old Brian, you would have the best basketball career you could have. That's not character. That's not going to give you character. And and there's a temptation to think, oh, I could still have character, but you know what? You cannot have character unless it's an intention to pursue it. It doesn't just happen. You have to live specifically day-to-day in ways that reflect genuineness and characteristics like empathy and mindfulness and and intention. You know, you are intentionally living your life in a way that reflects, you know, the, a, a conduct of behavior that, again, like I said, I'm not using the word Christ in that, but it is, that's what I'm really talking about. Christ focus. Sure. That's what character is going to be about. And well, I mean, how many, times have we, it. how many times have we talked about raising kids on this program, you and I, or even in private, and we've talked about understanding the influences that they're taking in and building that set, that set of, or building that influence with them. And you've used the analogy several times, like putting credits in the bank kind of thing that, 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 that that's built through your character. I'm absolutely convinced that we, and I, I alluded to this earlier is that we do leave out the messages of character. You look at what the win at any cost kind of scenario that a lot of the sport parents want to teach. Now, we'll pay a lot of lip service to going out there and, and good sportsmanship and all of those things, but but how often do we actually practice that in the day-to-day application, whether it's in life or in sports or whatever? And that sort of goes back to what we were talking about or that quote from Proverbs 22, where and, and really Proverbs 11 as well, where Solomon says that a good name is more desirable than great riches and to be esteemed is better than than silver or gold, or that 11.3 quote of Proverbs, integrity of the upright guides them but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Charting that course that you were just talking about, that, that, that idea of, of, of really 
as a, as an 18 year old kid, I would not have gotten this. I, I really wouldn't have. And, and I mean, my dad was is a man of good character who tried really hard to help us understand the importance of having good character. But I got a flashback to 18 year old Jared. I didn't get it. And already there were the influences around me that were you know, trying to pull me in different directions. And I look at all the peers that I had in that age group. I look at men today. We obviously don't get the idea of character. That it, it's that explains Sam Bankman Freed. He wasn't necessarily put on this pedestal because he was the most upright man. He was put on that pedestal because he made a lot of people a lot of money, or at least they thought he was making them a lot of money. Andrew Tate, who's idolized by so many people, you got to control your destiny, kind of you got to control your woman kind of thing, which is not really manning up. That's just that's just silly that, you know, you're supposed to live in harmony with your spouse, not control. But the whole idea, and then we see that he's this terrible person and, and it shouldn't really shock us that he's a terrible person. There's a loud voice out there. It's writing on our kids. It's writing on their hearts. It's writing on their minds. We've got to communicate early by our own actions and by our lessons that, hey, this is something that you got to take seriously. This is about building a good name because it's at some point in your life, your name may be all that you have. You know, what's interesting about Solomon being the one that says this, this is, this is where building character, the tough thing is you're going to have to take someone else's word for it. That in other words, when Solomon says something like a good name is better than being rich. Most of us haven't been rich. So we're not, we're going to say, well, I'd, I'd like to find out if that's true. But the point is you only get to pick one. You don't get to have both. That's the pursuit of, that's the nature of the pursuit of integrity and character. You can't have both. Now, Solomon, what's interesting about Solomon in history, he's unique to any human being ever because he had, he had both the intelligence and the wealth and the power to pursue all the things he could pursue, whether it was great works. And he talks about that in Ecclesiastes one and two, whether it was great pleasures, you know, enjoying all the things of life. Whether it was great wealth, whether whether his power, he he uniquely, no human being is like him, had that ability. So when he says, hey, boy, I wish I had a good name, he doesn't have a good name. That's the thing. That's the great irony that he goes to his grave without a good name. He knows better mm -hmm. than any human being that a good name is better than money, is better than wealth. We don't know that. We kind of have to take, like I said, we have to take the thing about wisdom and wisdom literature is that it's learning by somebody else's experience. Most people aren't smart enough to learn by somebody else's experience. It's a sad truth. We have to learn by our, our own experience. And then when we learn it, we're like, boy, I wish I had known that before. It doesn't matter. In fact, I saw, I saw a poll the other day where somebody says, hey, if you could go back in time with everything you know now, would you do it? Everyone's like, yeah. And I thought, it's kind of ironic. Even if you did, you'd probably still make the choices you make because it, it, life isn't about, oh, I have to experience something in order to know it. True integrity is about maybe I can learn this from somebody else. Maybe their experience can guide me in the choices that I make. And isn't it, isn't it yeah. just too bad that most people don't see it that way? Most people are going to have to learn by their own experience. And a lot of them aren't even going to learn by their own experience. You know, a lot of them aren't even going to see that their mistakes and what brought them to where they are and make a decision mm -hmm. to say, I'm going to change. Well, think about Ben Franklin. I mean, it's not really a character quote, but what did he say about experience? It's a dear school, but only a fool learns from no other. That the whole idea that I've got to go out and experience everything in life is just is really sort of the mark of a fool. It, it's, yeah. it's, I mean, it is foolish, foolishness epitomized that you're not, if you're, 
if all of your uh, if all of your education comes from your falling downs, kind of the school of hard knocks, you're not going to be very attractive, and you're going to have damaged yourself significantly along the way. And I think that's one of the reasons why when you apply this to areas of our life where we're sort of bringing this back to men specifically, you look at the dating relationships. There, there's sort of been been a, a sort of been a double standard. I, I don't I, I don't want to be out there and, and and touting the the party line of or not party line, but touting the the feminist line of men bad, you know, women good. But there has been a double standard there. I mean, even back in high school, I was. One of the things that I was a, a, attacked for was that I didn't have, you know, any sexual experience as as in high school. That I didn't have any any basis for for that kind of knowledge. And I remember the the guys that that was a big claim to fame. Yet you you put that shoe on the other foot and you talk about women that way, or she's a she's something else. And and you've got you you have this double standard that shows us that we need to be a little more refined than that. That you don't want the reputation of a guy that goes out there and sleeps around because it's not going to serve you later when you're trying to bring up your children or you're trying to trying to convince a woman that you're a good man to settle down with because you're going to have you're going to have that reputation and i think what we're beginning to see is that is that women have have changed their mindset on that that's one of the reasons why you have this this desire to look for high value men that that women are not ashamed anymore of of sexual activity and sleeping around. And it's all come from this double standard of character and this character drift. And we, this is something we need to realize. We need to protect ourselves from. We need to protect our young men from because maybe this more than anything speaks to their character in a way that is hard to recuperate. Yeah, and it's interesting because one of the characteristics about character, let's let's talk about character and use the word integrity to describe it. And let's think of integrity right. like a building. So if I don't set a foundation, let's say my life is going to be a building that I'm adding stories to, you know, first story, my first 20 years, second story, my next 20 years. Mm -hmm. If I lack integrity, the building will collapse at some point. And, and that's what you, when you're saying things like, hey, let's talk about the Jeffrey Epsteins or the, you're talking about people that without any integrity built up their life and then it flattened them and then it just yeah. crushed them. It destroyed them to the point that there's some of them are dead, you know, but, but all people, when you fail to establish yourself, this kind of goes maybe to one of your most important questions to ask is why is it, why is character, why is integrity important? Because as you move on in life, integrity is what holds you up. And if you yeah. don't have it, you always, always come to destruction of some kind. And you might even pick a guy like David who has a lot of integrity, but let's say he doesn't have integrity in his own sexual control or his family control. The last 20 years of David's life are miserable. He is unhappy. You know, he dies at 70. And from the about the age of 50 to 70, which is Bathsheba and Absalom and all of these events in that time period, he is utterly miserable and suffering for it. When I think of Jacob, who tells Pharaoh when he meets him, my life has been utter misery. What a thing to say for a patriarch to say, I've been had a miserable life. But think about it. Here's a man who failed to have self-control, who failed to have integrity in so many different dealings with his family and such that he suffers for it. And boy, you know, what we, what we just can't get across to people 
is that the quality of life you have is directly proportional to the amount of integrity you've established that life with. And it has nothing to do with money. You know, this is Solomon's observation. It's not about money. The quality of your life is going to be directly connected to your integrity. Even if you have yeah. a life that's full of pain or difficulty, like difficulty beyond yourself, your quality of life is still much better with integrity than without it. And that's the thing that people just don't seem to appreciate that and, and why it is that they are so unhappy, you know, and of course, really, you know, this is a worldly versus worldly versus spiritual kind of conversation too, that, you know, mm. worldly people hit 60, 70, 80. And we, we actually hide those people. We put them in homes. We, we, we minimalize them. We, we cover them up because we don't want them telling us, Hey, I made a lot of mistakes. Don't just go for your own life. You know, don't just live for yourself. We don't want to hear them say it. So, so as a society, we hide yeah. those people. So we don't have to deal with them and listen to them say, I made so many mistakes. Or a lot of them aren't saying I made mistakes. A lot of them are just miserable and they don't even, they don't even accept. Uh, this is again, learning by your own experiences. They haven't even learned by their own experiences. Well, I think you brought up three areas there where, where integrity really needs to shine or we're going to suffer. One is when we're put in a position of power. The second is in the sexual relationship. That's, that's a particularly big one in our day and age. It, it's something that I really think that if you are not talking to your kids about that at a young age as a father, you're going to fail them. They're, they're going to be making hard decisions about those things and you've not prepared them for it at all. And the, and the third thing that we need to do, the third area where that really shows up is, is when we're enduring pain. Let's talk about that a little bit. That you know, I was thinking about, about as you were talking about David and, that, and, and his, how his character sometimes slipped in regard to the sexual relationship, that that's one of the things that it, if it's all about pleasure, it, it's all about what comes to me, then, then number one, that's not the God-glorifying relationship that we see in the Song of Solomon. But I think about that, and and again, this is a, a Peterson quote that you and I were talking about before. But the the idea of the purpose of life is to find the highest value. However, we determine high value, but highest value person that we can and create something with them. I mean, that's really what the the sexual relationship is supposed to be about. It's the foundation for the family. It's the foundation for marriage. It's the foundation for for children, unless you're like me and my wife, and you got adopters. But uh, in that case, the bank account is the foundation for children <laughs> and the legal system. But when you stop and you think about that, or you, or you think about in times when you have power and how it is that, that people who are really interested in truth, it, they're not particularly interested in power. That they're, that they're not, you know, people that, that really, really value truth don't usually want to claim power for themselves. And that's why you see that absence of character, I mean, how many, we just had the House of Representatives change. I know some of our listeners are from India and the UK. And in the US, we just had the House of Representatives, which is one of our legislative bodies, flip. It went from the Democrats to the Republicans. And now you've got Democrats that were against some things that are now for them, and, and Republicans that were for some things that are now against them and vice versa. That because now that you have power, suddenly your ideals on this have changed and and you look at the rules that are created for things like retirement or the rules that are created for things like healthcare that they'll create a set of of rules that that people have to live under but they themselves never live under because 
they're not interested in goodness. They're not interested in truth. They're interested in power and what power can do for them and people that are attached to them who help them stay in power. And the, those are two, and we can we can talk about, about pain in, in a moment, but those are two areas of life that if you don't build character early, when it comes to your approach to, to power in this world and and people that you have authority over, and, and, and the sexual dynamic because of our culture, or the sexual relationship because of our culture, you're gonna, you're, your reputation is going to out you at some point. Yeah, those are, boy, Jared, I wish everybody could hear that because, and, and oh, don't worry, we're going to put it on YouTube, they will. That's right. Let's even, <laughs> let's even define it a little further. Truth okay. isn't, you know, when Preuston talks about truth, he doesn't, he doesn't probably mean the same thing we do. Because sure. we're, we're talking about John 17, 17 truth. You know, the word is truth. That there's, that that's the only absolute truth that exists. And everything else is abstract truth. Meaning it could be true, but, you know, there's also the, the sense that it may not be. So when we're saying grab onto truth, we're talking about something specific. But the second point you're hitting there, the sexual dynamic and having a mastery of that as soon as possible. You know, the, you know the, that we're created sexual beings. Mm -hmm requiring us to get that under control as soon as possible. You know, as soon as that right. sexual dynamic kicks in. And if you haven't been talking, the, having those conversations with your children about the control that we have over sexuality and the importance of having that control over sexuality, you're probably not going to be successful in that conversation at the right time. What is, what is one of the greatest problems we talk about constantly? People losing sexual self-control, which is yeah. so many of our politicians and our, you know, our wealthy people. And, and of course, I think one issue is a lot of times people, you know, begin to believe their own lies about, I don't have to have sexual self-control, and but, yeah. but that's our world, right? You don't have to have sexual self-control. In fact, nobody should tell you, you should control yourself yeah. would be the, would be the teaching of our world today. That's nothing new to be clear. That's, that's been around for thousands and thousands of years. Ever since they told Lot, how dare you tell us what we're supposed to do? And in Sodom and Gomorrah, people have resented, you know, somebody else saying, hey, practice sexual self-control, you know, because that's such a, a dangerous power that if you don't control it, I mean, Jeffrey Epstein is our, is our great testimony that he marketed himself to people that didn't control themselves. You know, that yes. was one of his great, you know, and, and of course now everybody's in a panic of being opened up and caught like that, but we shouldn't be surprised for sure. Well, your appetites are going to find you out. And and I think that's one of the things that that's become evident, particularly as as more of these characters are exposed and you don't you, you don't. It used to just be, hey, this happened kind of like the, if you remember back into the 80s, the Gary Hart scandal that where he was you know running around with I think it was an intern. Yeah. And that sort of, yeah, that sort of T-boned his election, even though he probably wouldn't have won anyway. But the whole. That it's kind of moved on from having known that it exists that I mean, ever since since. Clinton and the whole Watergate, Monica Lewinsky scandal, we know the tawdry details. And what's interesting to me about this, Brian, and, and I say interesting from, from a purely intellectual level, it's, not, it's definitely not an ideological level, that what's interesting to me about this is sometimes, you know, Andrew Tate is the example here, that sometimes people are celebrated for this. I mean, JFK's exploits are legendary. I mean, people, you know, still joke about him and Marilyn Monroe and things like that, and as if that was something that was okay to be celebrated because he was who he was and she was who she was. And you look at where that envelope has pushed. And, and now what you have is as, as that has become, as those things have become normalized and accepted in certain people, well, you see sort of this lurching of society in this direction of, of no control. 
That's one of the reasons why so many parents are upset with Disney right now is they keep peppering little things throughout their cartoons of of uh, of that that are designed to provoke curiosity from children about things that they're not ready to discuss. And our our culture keeps wanting to affirm the be, the ability to transition from male to female, even though there's no science behind that. It's all purely subjective. That and we keep we keep seeing our culture push the drag queen experience, whether it's at, at, at public readings or family shows and, and things like that. It's all because we've had so much character drift on this part and, or in this arena. And what we're going to see is that in the not too distant future, you're going to have a very loud push towards normalizing other kinds of relationships. I don't want to get struck on YouTube, but you can you can use your imagination while we're talking about. You're going to have the push to normalize other kinds of relationships because this is never satisfied. Character gives us satisfaction. I can be satisfied with the wife of my youth kind of thing, as it's you know, mentioned several times in Scripture, that, that she can satisfy me if I have character. But if it's all about experience and lack of self-control, then you're never going to be satisfied because the next experience is, well, that's going to become mundane before too long. And you're going to need something else to replace that experience. I mean, right or wrong? Yeah, it's it, it really is the case that you know the the once once you tried, you know, it, it, we can even apply this to a sexual point. Something a, advice I give to every young person I know that one of the great dangers of being sexually active is once you've dabbled, it's it's so much more difficult to remain chaste to return to chastity. And I don't say it's impossible; it's just so much harder. You know, it's just so much more difficult. In fact, here's an interesting thing. I was reading a book about McGovern and as having been a bomber pilot in the Second World War. So George McGovern was a bomber crew member. And one of the interesting things was he was being told when he was being shipped overseas, they were giving him the typical sexual disease awareness conversation. And he said, don't worry, guys, I'm married. And the doctor said, yeah, you know, you guys that have these, you know, that are already in intimate relationships, you're the ones most likely to be the problem. Not, not with single guys that, that abstain because they're a lot more likely to be able to keep themselves under control. And all this being said, it just speaks to that idea that once, once you cross that line, it is so, particularly with sexual issues, it's so much more difficult to go back. You know, it's, it's Well, and just, I think that's why pornography is such an issue. I mean, yes, I, yes. I mean we've done, I mean, I'm going to get you on an episode with BJ Seid we're going to talk about pornography because I haven't done one in a while, but... Uh, there's just so much that's come about come out about pornography in the last couple of years about how it's it doesn't just change your habit it actually rewires your brain it, it is an addiction it, it's not just i mean people feel a sense of withdrawal and you can't go back to at least you can't very easily go back to a normalized sexual relationship once you once you have opened the door to these other things in your mind. And that leads to all kinds of experimentation and it leads to all kinds of other problems. And, and, you know, I, I've known guys that have, you know, basically, you know, treated their wives like dirt because of that particular addiction. And that is, I mean, when character is at the root of your relationship with your wife, then you're satisfied with her. You don't need to go looking for something else. It's not until you open the door, whether it's before you're married or after. It's not until you open that door that you begin to seek out something else. And and that, as you said, it's a hard door to close. I mean, it's yeah. hard to close yeah. that door. 
And I've known guys who have spent their whole life and they will still tell you, I am recovering from this. You know, I haven't looked at, you know, they'll tell you, I haven't looked at pornography in 20 years, but I'm still recovering from it because I can feel it gnawing at the back of my brain. I hear people talk about cigarettes the same way, 20 years, quit smoking 20 years ago. Yeah. And I still, you know, just at certain times of day, I still feel the need to go light up. It's so weird. Pornography is the same way. They right. will affect you in that. And again, that's why you got to talk to the young guys about it because they are getting this all the time from their peers, from the television, from video games. I, I was absolutely surprised at some of what's in video games today. If you think, it's, I say this all the time, but if you think video games are, are Mario platforming across, you know, you know, open pits and going down, going down the, uh, the old sewer pipe type thing, you are sadly mistaken. You need to get the video games out of your kid's room. You need to get them somewhere where you can see them. And you need to make some judgments as a man as to what kind of uh, what kind of media and content your kid needs to consume, because some of it is borderline pornographic. And that's I mean, that's the reality. We talked about power and we talked about the sexual relationship, but I want to talk about character in terms of pain in seasons of distress. A couple of things that I was thinking of. And again, these are some quotes you and I have talked about before. One of them, this is another Peterson quote, but it says, the mark of an individual who has strong character is their ability to distance themselves from their subjective experience. Basically, I'm not going to reason the brightness out of the world by the way it affects me. And he goes on to say, when the experience becomes destructive and to stand outside of it, so to speak, and to understand it and to regulate. So as things are happening to me, I can stand outside of them and decide how I'm going to control myself in that situation rather than just being in the mode of response all the time. And another is it's not about what you want. It's about what you're willing to endure. And that that's not only kind of a Peterson thing, but I'm a big fan of Randy Pausch. You know, are you willing to be disciplined to attain what you're wanting to attain? Now, discipline is not necessarily a mark of character, but it can certainly be character building. How does our character speak? How do we need to shape our character in those times? What lessons you got for us? Yeah, a couple a couple of things kind of come to my mind. First of all, you know, we're all going to face difficult times. And so what we're kind of saying is the idea that character, if it is established, will dictate how we move through that. That's kind of an oversimplification, but we're all going to face tough times. I always think of Ecclesiastes, the last chapter there, where he talks about the, the dark days coming. You're going to remember your creator of the days of youth before dark days come. What he's kind of saying is, hey, get your character set up beforehand because... When the dark days come, when, you know, when, when life ceases to be, you know, as a John Mellencamp's song goes, you know, life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone. That's yeah. kind of what Solomon's saying, you know, that you need to, you need to be ready that it isn't always going to be, but you establish your character ahead of time. And that draws you through those times that, that brings you through those difficult moments. That's, that's the thing that you've got to set up ahead of time. We could say the same thing like faith. We could say if you wait until you're challenged to have faith, if, if you wait for having the challenge of faith to build your faith, it's too late and you won't make it. And such it is with character. If you, if you wait to the experience, it's too late. Yeah. So, so the second thing, let's, let's kind of go the other thing in direction and let's, let's kind of go back to that quote you gave that the mark of an individual with strong character is the ability to distance themselves from subjective experience. Now, we live in a society that loves to take the subjective experience and say, that's true. In fact, we I have say, my truth. That's it. Yeah. I was going to say, we use the term. It's my truth. I have this experience. This is my truth. And the dilemma is when you base character off that, you almost always have 
number one, a very selfish sense of character that it's all about you and it mm -hmm. defines truth around you. So it's not going to help anybody else. And number two, it's going to leave you in a deficit in those areas of life that you haven't experienced. You're just not going to be able to deal with it. Right, right now, I can think of a couple of people who I'm trying to, to work with, you know, in a, you know, that spiritual counseling kind of way, and they're struggling with things. And unfortunately, one of the problems they struggle with is that they have, they have developed character based on a series of experiences in their life that now when they're experiencing things, they don't, they're not equipped to handle. They don't have genuine character that they can lean back on, bring them through difficult moments. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that's, I mean, it, we like to say that character is forged in fire, but if you wait till the fire, it's probably not going to be forged. Character has to be forged ahead of time. I think character is revealed in fire. I think it's part of what Peter was talking about in first Peter, when he talked about your faith being revealed by fire and it's more precious than gold or, you know, what, you know, part of what Paul was doing was vouching for his character in Hebrews chapter 11, when he talked about his, the things he had endured for Christ, that he had, he had received, you know, scourgings, he'd been beaten, he'd been stoned, he'd been shipwrecked, he had been, you know, left in the water overnight, that he is always in dangers of countrymen and robbers and Gentiles and, whether he's in the wilderness or the city, he went hungry, he went naked, he went, he went without food and all of these things. And, and you come right down to it. You don't, you don't have character going into that. You're not going to have character coming into that. And that the idea that I can have a truth that's relevant to me really is saying my pain is more important than anybody else's. And if you, if you don't, if that kind of thinking connects with you, then your actions are not going to flow from a place of integrity. They're going to flow from a place of, of getting what I want out of this life. And, and you can certainly build a life that way, but it's not going to be a life of real significance. I mean, you, you may have success, you may have power, you may have, you may have wealth, but you're not going to have anything you can be genuinely proud of. And the thing about success and power and wealth is the moments of pain that do come, the moments of despair that do come, can rob you of your success and power and wealth. It may be that there is a time when your name is all you have left and all you have to start over with. And if that is sullied to the point, it's not saying that, that, that perfection is possible, but if that's sullied to the point that you can't, you can't start with a good name, you may have nothing to recuperate at all. You know, and one, one important point, again, this idea of, you know, relying on my subjective experience, you're necessarily cutting yourself off from other people in doing so. So, so let's, let's describe what that looks like. Right. You know, no wisdom can come from anybody else because they yeah. never, right, they were right, right. Jesus was never married. So Jesus wouldn't know what it is to go through a difficult marriage. Sure. You know, and we live in a world where it says, Hey, Brian, if you're not my race, you don't know what it is to go through my problems. Brian, if you're not my gender, you don't know what it is to go through my problems. That's, that's what our world says every day. And, and like I said, there's, there's almost, well, maybe that's, maybe that's true kind of thinking to it because it because it kind of sounds at first true. And yet scriptures are saying, Hey, wait a second. You don't, you don't arrive at truth by your experiences. Truth is, yes. is past you. Truth is greater than you. Yeah. And you're grabbing it and making applications to your life. I can know how to handle situations. I've never been in because I grab, you know, I'm basing my character off of truth, not experience. That's, re that's really, I mean, so important, particularly as what, what this, 
this idea of you can't experience my truth has brought us to is it's brought us to the point where where victimhood is sort of a robe of honor that you don't yes. have status if you're not a victim. Yeah. And so you had that's that explains the mass acceleration towards the I was reading an article the other day that was it was saying that I think it was it was in Australia. I don't know if this was this was true universal or, or worldwide, but that that 20 percent of Generation Alpha regards themselves as somewhere on the LGBTQIA WXYZ spectrum. And and that's up from. Five percent in the millennial generation and less than one percent in the in the generation X, if I've got those numbers right, and that that even uh, what's his name? I saw this the other day. Bill Mar Bill Maher joked about this, and the other day I don't watch Bill Maher, but I saw this come up online as a as a as a reel. Somebody shared it on Facebook that by 2050, the entire population of the world is going to be either gay or transsexual, and then, and then the problem takes care of itself, I guess, but. Yeah. Yeah, it's the, the, the sad reality is that people have bought into that. Your pain is not worth something until you've experienced my pain and, and needing to have a pain that we can share with the world that frames a brand new truth that's relevant only to us is more important than developing character that we can navigate life through. That if I'm navigating life based on my truth, based on my pain, then I don't build character. I mean, that, that's really what it is because my pain is right. what's speaking and not my integrity. And that is yeah. so important when you think about being a man, think about being a husband. If, if my pain, think about uh, as a husband or, you know, we don't, we've got some women that listen to the show as a wife, if you're in a, if you've been in a relationship where there's been infidelity in your relationship, if your pain is greater than, than the integrity that you're trying to reconcile from, you'll never put the marriage back together. Right. Just won't. And if the pain of the one who committed the infidelity is is amplified to the point where it becomes justified, then the infidelity is just going to continue. And I mean, at some point, in order for us to have a society where people function for the common good of one another, that that you've got to get past pain and you got to stop defining your life by pain. In fact, you know, people talk about capitalism being being evil. I'm going to tell you that 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 the point of of pain being front and center is really more of a really seems to come strangely enough out of communist and socialist leaning. That most of the people that that share their pain and their truth tend to think more in a socialist kind of way. But it's how is society going to serve me as opposed to how am I going to serve society? And that's really one of the great evils that. As you see those systems of thoughts progress, thought progress in high school and college campuses, you have more and more of this. I need to experience this so I can have a pain in this area yeah. and I can be part of the conversation because otherwise I, I'm not relevant to the conversation. And I, that's all I want to be is relevant to the conversation. So let's take this another direction and say the other side of this is how do I have pain without becoming a victim? You and oh, I were nice. talking about this just in a conversation we were having. We we're saying, yeah, for those of you who don't know, Brian lives about three blocks from me. We talk yeah. a lot, a lot, <laughs> yes, and we have a lot of probably way more than he wants to. Yeah, but we were talking about the idea of the the concept of an identity of being a victim. Now, yeah, now there's a difference between having pain and over and using integrity to to deal with that, or even strength and integrity, or having pain, having difficulty, and accepting the identity of a victim which is to surrender, which is to say, you know what? This pain now defines me. In other words, it, it replaces character. Mm -hmm. Pain replaces character. 
it disables me from success. And I was saying, you can look at our society and the way we treat veterans, for example. And I used the example yeah. that there was this great movie, won an Academy Award, the best year of our lives. When, and it was 1946. All the guys are coming home from World War II in 1945. And the, it's, it's the story of these three veterans, and they're each damaged from the war. One is physically damaged. He's lost his arms. One's an alcoholic, and one has PTSD. Before we talked about PTSD, that's, it's a very good image of what PTSD is. And each okay. of these guys has to put their life back together. They're not told, hey, yeah, we get it. You're a victim. Bad things have happened. So we're not going to, you know, you don't have to develop character. All three of them have to figure out a way to to move forward in their life. And character is the way we do that. But today yeah. we live in a society that wants to tell people, no, don't worry about it. You're, you're a victim. You know, your your status is such that you don't need to overcome. Whether it's a victim of, you know, the, you know, something has happened in your life where you're, you know, truly victimized or you're a victim of your identity. That's the one that is the big one where we push people that to say, hey, you're a victim because of your race, your, you know, whatever, whatever you want to fill in there, you know, all these different things that we want to characterize people by, make them your identity. We want to say you're a victim. Therefore, there can be no expectation for you to develop character in order to better yourself in life. What's going to happen in those circumstances? Well, I'll tell you what, you're not going to get bored in life. You're not going to have a, a point where you get to 60, 70, 80 in life and say, you know, I've, it's been a good life. It's absolutely yeah. not going to be the case. If you're well, a think victim, about the lack of, in, you're not going to lack of integrity that you have to have in order to say, hey, the rest of the world owes me something because I have been victimized. And it's, it's your own internal monologue that's made you a victim. And I mean, so right. much do we see that now, that if you don't agree with me, then you hate me, you are victimizing me. I'm not making you a victim because I don't know your pronouns and I'm not going to use them even if I don't know them. I'm not victimizing you. I'm just not participating in that. And, and so much of that filters into the religious conversation. There's a lot of support among their people, it seems like, based on what I've been seeing lately for you know LGBTQIA inclusion. I'm not saying that that you shouldn't that, that we shouldn't have compassion and care and concern for people who self-identifies that way. But I can't change the message of the Bible to suit them because if because teaching what's true somehow victimizes them. And there's there's places in the world right now that if I were to say that out loud, I mean Canada is actually one of them, I think, that it's going to it's going to cause a significant problem for me, even if the motivation that I'm doing it from and always would be a deep concern for their soul that this whole idea of I'm somehow victimizing you by not experiencing your truth or letting you say your truth is is really a way of holding a conversation hostage and it's turning your your implied pain into power. It holds truth hostage, frankly. It says mm -hmm. that there is no such thing as truth and therefore I refuse to allow truth to be brought to the table. Yeah. I'm not even going to debate it. You know, I'm not even going to accept that it's possible. And that's what these ideas do is that they refuse to allow truth, which in turn, denies the ability to establish character. You cannot have character and be a victim. You cannot have character and, you know, embrace the idea that there is somehow or other truth that's not, you know, that's personal. You yeah. cannot have character in those circumstances. All right. I know you got about 15 minutes where you got to leave. So let's bring this, let's bring the shuttle down for a landing. I, I guess fake shuttles don't land anymore. Not like anymore. The next vehicle is going to splash down or splash like, down or like come down like Elon Musk's rocket and, and explode. land on the platform. Well, hopefully not. I think they got the bugs worked out of that. But, I hope so. but, <laughs> 
but let let let's bring this home. So you're you're a young Christian man today. You're you're looking at the world. You're thinking about the mark you want to make on it. You're thinking about the young lady you want to marry. You know that there's a whole lot of bad information out there. There's the whole Sigma male movement, which is basically do unto others as they would do unto you kind of thing. There's the the red pill movement, which is basically causing, even though I understand the where it comes from, it's causing a lot of schism between men and women. You know, there's there's the victim movement. There's all kinds of things that are vying for your attention as the way you're going to live your life. How do you build? How do you go forward? Well, you know the the truths about how we how we approach these things have been around a long time. You know, ideas like you're acknowledging that there's something greater than yourself, and, and like I said, generalizing spiritual ideas, but you're accepting the idea that truth exists, that it's right. not you, you're not truth, and just because you think a way isn't truth, you have to actually find truth and live by it. Number two, you cannot have a successful life if you're trying to get rich or be the best of you know your sport whatever it is you can only have a good life which which we've defined the need for character as what gives you a good life you can only have a good life if you mm-hmm. accept day-to-day act, you know, pursuit of righteous and truthful and you know the the truth as a day-to-day thing that's the only way you're going to have it if being rich being powerful if these are your goals, you will never come to character. Right. What about, let's talk about the marriage relationship and sexual relationship. What, what do we need to watch out for there? What do we need to, what do guys need to do to sort of man, man up when it comes Don't to Don't believe the lie that chastity is something to be embarrassed about. But that's tough, right? You know, you mentioned it earlier, to, you know, the high school kid, the high school boy that's that is virtuous, the high school girl that's virtuous, that's, you know, those are things that the world mocks. The world mocks it right up till it explodes itself. You know, the world yeah. makes fun of it right up until it douses itself with gasoline and sets itself on fire. Well, uh, think about the stuff that's come out of that. I mean, the whole abortion movement. I yeah. Mean, I, I, realize, yeah. I realize that started by people that were trying to promote genocide in, in the, you know, Black racial America. genocide. Yeah. yeah, racial genocide. And, and, you know, as deplorable as that is, it somehow is swept under the rug. I, I don't, I don't know how that gets so well hidden. It's hidden in plain sight. You don't have to go very far to find it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, you know, the explosion of of the abortion movement in this country and the, the you know, I see I see college girls walking around with signs on the you know sometimes even around Portland that say things like no sex for him until there's choice for me. And you know what? Just right. no sex until you're in a God honoring marriage. Yeah, no sex. That's a great thing. It's something that ought to be celebrated. I'd, I'd love to see guys comment on that. Were you sort of ridiculed in high school? Or maybe you were the one doing the ridiculing. Were you ridiculed in high school because you were more chaste than your peers? I mean, is that something that you were made fun of? I know I, I was, but it's you know water under the bridge. I've got a great marriage and a, a wonderful woman that I wouldn't trade for anything in the world now. But I know that's something I was ridiculed for. But I, you know, I'd love to hear some experiences that you've had with that. Maybe it's something we can do some more episodes on. But yeah, uh, and it's and it's important to understand when I look back and I think about my experiences like that and the people that would, you know, to, that would mock about that, they're none of them are in happy marriages. You know, they're usually on third or fourth or, you know, you know, they they have a lot of bad circumstances, you know. So so no regrets at all, you know, for that uh, that very minor, you know, again, the world the world is not the brightest thing in the, you know, to to listen to. And yeah. I want every young man and a young woman to know that your chastity, your virtue, 
is just this yeah. wonderful thing that's going to be such a such a treasure to your relationship. And, and I know that sounds stupid, God. guys. I, I know it sounds like, oh, yeah, right. Trust me. I don't know a single person who went down the road of sexual immorality who doesn't have some regret yes. that they have to deal with later, particularly right. things like pornography that open up doors to other things. We're not even just talking about 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 you know, premarital sex, but, but things like pornography that open the doors to so many other behaviors and so many other proclivities that are dangerous. I've been a minister for coming up on 25 years. I've talked to literally hundreds of men about this, and I don't know a single one who can tell me that the early sexual experiences they had in high school were good for them or that they're really glad that they had the experience with the magazines and the websites. I don't know any of them who don't have regret associated with that. And it's not that you can't overcome it and have a healthy relationship, but it is very, very hard the further down that road you go. Right. All right. So, Brian, what about our kids? How are we, how are we going to do integrity there? How are we going to build integrity with them? Well, you know, I've got to establish that credibility that comes uh, by. Here we go. Brian's metaphor. This is a, this is a Brian Haynes the, man up moment. The credibility bank. You know, the credibility bank. I've got to be making yes. deposits bank every day. It's, you know, it's low interest. It's a low interest account. In other words, you just got to put a little bit in every day that demonstrates integrity. And then at some point there, there's a substantial amount in there that they can withdraw. And mm -hmm. that, that, that's those critical moments where you're saying, Hey, don't listen to the world on this. Don't listen to your experience on this. Listen to the truth on this. And if you put it up in there by your own behavior, of conduct and your own pursuit of integrity, they're going to say, all right, I'll trust you on this. You know, okay, I'll do, I'll go the way you're going. It seems to have worked out for you. You stick with it. Everybody's, everybody will believe somebody who has integrity. That's the funny thing about integrity. If somebody has integrity, we listen, you know, yeah. even, even if it's somebody I don't like or agree with, if they have integrity, I'll listen. And that's, yeah, I may disagree with them, but I'll listen. Exactly right. Exactly right. All right, Brian, I know you got to go, but you got a new YouTube project. So tell us a little bit about it. I'm going to use my clout, you know, with my podcast and my, and my YouTube channel. I'm going to get Brian tens of listeners. Tens or maybe just of ten, listeners, or, or, yes. Or maybe, or maybe just 10. I don't want to, I don't want to exaggerate. It might just be 10. Might no, not so even I, be that. But no, tell, tell of, me about your new project. Yeah, a couple of projects that I go on. Of course, I participate. And let's just say I participate. They're not my projects, but I participate. Yeah, but one is kind of your baby, area. isn't it? Well, Truth Factor, I've been with Truth Factor for a long time, and we, at the beginning of COVID, we, we shut it down to kind of focus on our own works, and then we just recently brought back Truth Factor. So Truth Factor, Thursday morning, Ezra Religious Error, Wednesday mornings, and as I said, I, I'll be careful to say they're not my babies as much as they're, they're things I get the honor of participating in. Kind of like, kind of like here today, you know, the honor of being a participant. <laughs> well, Truth Factor was the one I was thinking of. That's actually a YouTube presence, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. So we, we so do have a podcast it, so, version, but is it all right. YouTube? I'll link to the podcast and the YouTube channel here in the in the notes when I get this up. And and hey, audience, weigh in. I'd love to hear if you're watching this on YouTube. Should I change the name of the channel to the Man Up Channel from the Real Dad Channel, or should I just keep in the podcast here and then later move them to their own channel? I'd love to hear you hear you guys talk about that. I'll link to another video over here. And if you're listening to us on podcast, I want to thank you for tuning in. We may be moving to a new podcast network soon where we can get a little better, a little better exposure, something that we're really wanting for this and that will give us some, some ability to maybe monetize the show a little bit and get some support. I know some of you have wondered about 
supporting the show, and there'll be a good way to do that. But until we talk again, we want to thank Brian for being here. But from all of us here at Man Up, have a good day, God bless, and man up. Dismissed!